Hello, folks. Um, we're back in Philippians this morning. Um, I may have bitten off more than I can chew. I hope I didn't. But we're going to try to get through verses 3 through 11. I know that doesn't seem like a lot, um, but it, it is. And um, so let, let me read it, and we'll pray, and we'll kind of get into it. Because there's a lot to cover. I just want to kind of get into it. So let's, let's do that. Um, Philippians 1, 3 through 11, it says, I thank my God every time I remember you. I always pray with joy in my every prayer for all of you because of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I'm sure of this very thing, that the one who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is right for me to think of, think this about all of you, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, all of you became partners in God's grace together with me. For God is my witness that I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And I pray this, that your love may abound even more and more in knowledge and every kind of insight, so that you can decide what is best, and thus be sincere and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. All right, let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. I thank you for this text. I pray you open it up to us now. Uh, let us um, see maybe this familiar text we've, we've read tons of times. I pray that you open it up to us and let us see something different. Maybe we've never noticed before, um, but I pray that you will open it to us and let it shed light, um, not just on our lives, but on the world around us and help us to change our lives according to your word. And Lord, above all, I pray that this is encouraging to us. Help us to be encouraged by this, to go and do more for you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, as I said a couple weeks ago, you know, Philippians is like the ultimate Christian coffee mug um, book, right? All these verses that you see and signs and stuff in people's homes and whatnot. And uh, we're going to get into really the first one of this today, verse 6 here. But uh, I really, you know... I can't say enough about the book of Philippians. It's such an encouraging book. Paul starts out, you know, we, we kind of, we did the background going through Acts, how the church started. Uh, last week, we kind of covered more background just in those first couple of verses. And now we're here. Um, Paul's finally kind of, or we're, we're finally getting into what Paul is saying to them. And um, it's very, uh, it's this prayer that Paul has for them. And you can see just the amount of affection and love he has for this church just in this prayer, just in these words. Um, Paul starts all of his letters with uh, a bit of an encouraging prayer. Uh, maybe not Galatians because he just really wanted to start kind of targeting them. And not, I don't know if targeting is the right word, but he really wanted to start getting in on them and correcting the things he heard because they had some stuff that needed correction. Uh, but all of his letters, you know, he, he has this prayer, but this one is is even more so. He talks... In this prayer, just so much more encouragement and everything else um, about just this church in Philippi that he loves so dearly. That, like we said, he he eventually in chapter four calls his joy and crown and everything else. And so, uh, not unlike other letters that Paul wrote, um, the church did need some correction, but for the most part, they didn't need a lot. And it's it's almost like um, this is maybe a little personal, but. Maybe a little awkward, I don't know, but sometimes I, you know, I always wear an undershirt underneath my clothes, and sometimes when I'm putting it on, I'm getting ready in the dark, I don't know, sometimes I put my undershirts on backwards. I don't know if you've ever done that, um, but it's like, you know, just 
being uncomfortably strangled by like a really weak person or something. You have this shirt on that's just, it doesn't, I can tell immediately, I'm like, ah, dead gummit, I did it again, and I gotta switch it around and put it on normal, and it's like, okay, that feels better, you know, that's how it's supposed to be. And so I think that's kind of the issues that the church in Philippi had. It was just a little annoying, you know, it wasn't like, they're not the Galatian, the church of Galatia, or the Corinthians, or these other churches, you know, they, they just had a little annoyances that Paul needed to correct. Um, and in so doing, he he corrects them with with love. You know, he comes at them very lovingly. I don't know if you've ever heard of, um, like in leadership, what's called a um, compliment sandwich. But whenever, like if you're in any kind of leadership position, what, what they're going to tell you at whatever seminar you go to is, if you have to correct someone's behavior, sandwich it with some compliments. Like, you know, you really do good in this area, but I need you to work on this, but you know, over here you, you, you do great. And that's kind of, you know, just so it's more palatable, the correction that you have to offer is more palatable. You know, it's the old adage, you catch more uh, flies with honey than you do vinegar, you know? Or as, you know, I heard one time somebody said, you catch more honeys if you're fly, but that's a different story, you know? <laughs> so, but that's basically what Paul's doing here. You know, Paul is giving them this encouragement. He is showing them, um, he's, he's talking about how much he loves them and cares for them, this affection and all this stuff. And then he's going to correct them a little bit, you know, and they're going to, it's going to be received a lot better for them if he gives this encouragement to them. And so, uh, and we, and we see that here. So another thing about this is, um, you know, in him, in this prayer, it's like he's going to pray for them for the thing he wants to later write about or that he's going to later write about. So he's praying for them and then he's going to correct them on some things or instruct them on some things too. And that's good That's good for us as well when we have, um, when we need to, that's the model we should follow. I should, I should say it that way. That's the model we should follow. We need to, to do whatever we do. We should pray for that thing first. And that might seem like a no-brainer, but that's what we should do. We should pray about that thing first and then go and do that thing. Whether it is correcting someone or having a hard conversation that you need to have with someone, whatever that is, or if it's, you know, some kind of teaching you need to do, or if it's just, you know, even, you know, going to meet somebody, have coffee or or whatever it might be, um, just to kind of catch up, a friend you have or something, whatever that might be. Pray about that situation first and then go and do. And that's that's what Paul does here. So um, verse 3, he starts out, I think, real strong. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. Now this, thank my God, he, he says that to the church he's writing to in most of his letters. And we see that used throughout the New Testament in a lot of different, um, a lot of different instances. Uh, when Jesus uh, is feeding the 5,000, you know, he breaks the bread, he thanks God. And the word we have for thank my God here is where we get the word Eucharist from or communion, right? He says he thanks his God. So when you think about communion as as a thanks to God and doing that, and we're going to talk more about that um, later, but I think that's a, that's a great picture for when we come to the communion table to think about this isn't, um, this isn't for anything else except for you know, this is us coming together as a body of believers, as a fellowship of people together to thank our God, to, to have that vertical input. So it's, 
it's really a beautiful picture because it's both a, a horizontal relational thing outwardly, but it's also, it, it really is bringing us together for an upward thanksgiving to God. And so Paul, he's thanking his God every time he remembers them. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. And I pray with joy in my every prayer for all of you because of your participation in the gospel for the first day until now. So he thanks his God. He's praying with joy. So in, as he's thanking God, he's praying and he's praying with joy. And what gives him his joy is their participation in the gospel. So we know their background, right? We know not only are they actively growing in their church, their church is, is multiplying. You know, Lydia was saved in her household, the Philippian jailer in his household. And I'm sure now at the point when Paul's writing this letter, the church has grown and grown and grown. So they're actively involved in the gospel. But they're also actively involved in the gospel through their giving. They've, they've you know, supported Paul financially in the work of his ministry and his in his missions. But they've also, you know, supported other other people as well. I don't want to give the lead away too much um, because we'll, we'll talk about it in upcoming weeks. We we also mentioned it last week about how they did support the the church in Jerusalem and everything else. So. Um, so he's he's praying he's thanking God he's praying with joy because of their participation in the gospel from the first day until now so from the very first day he was with them even until now they have been participants in the gospel and uh, this word participation here it's like uh, it's this concept of sharing or contribution um, the Greek word you may be familiar with it is koinonia and it's where we get the word fellowship from and we are the fellowship and I think that's a beautiful picture when you think about all those words together because we are contributing to the, the gospel and what we do we are partners with Christ in the gospel and uh, we're partners with each other and our participation together in this partnership and this contribution and this sharing is for the purpose of furthering the gospel and so that's what we are as the fellowship literally from scripture here and then we get to verse six here it says and this is um every time i hear this i think of we and i might have been telling aaron about this last week or something but i forget who but growing up we sang a chorus that was basically just this verse philippians 1 6 and um we i mean this was like mid to late 90s maybe even 2000s and 2010s but uh, it was it was just a chorus, and it always made me think of like a 1980s TV theme song, you know. And it was this verse is like, "He who began a good work in you." You can kind of see how that was like a, a a sitcom theme song or something, like "Who's the Boss" or something. I don't know, but it's like, "He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. He'll be faithful to complete it. He who started the work will be faithful to complete it in you." You know, and always pictured somebody singing like that. I don't know why, but that's the that's this verse though. But this is this is you know this is our coffee mug verse for this um, for this set of scripture. Well this and also maybe nine nine and ten, but um, but this is a great verse. Um, and this is um, I mean it's a great verse. So it says, For I'm sure of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. So there is a lot here to unpack. Um, I'm not going to bury the lead here, but it's this is all about sanctification. We talked about this a little bit last week. 
two, two parts to sanctification. Uh, one, we are positionally sanctified before God. And sanctified means to be made holy. So positionally, we're sanctified before God. That, that is a picture of being covered in the blood of the Lamb, being made holy, um, like the Romans 8.29, that we're um, predestined for the foundation of the earth to be conformed in the image of His Son. So that conforming into the image of His Son, that is sanctification. So positionally, if God sees us being covered in the blood of the Lamb, we are sanctified, but then there's also a progression or a process of sanctification. And that's what Paul later in chapter 2, verse 12, he says, he talks about it as being like working out our salvation. So as we work out our salvation with awe and reverence, um, that's the continuing work of our salvation. So the process of being made holy. Where I was when I was first saved is not where I am today, and hopefully where I am today is not where I'm going to be you know, tomorrow or next week or a year from now. And so, in fact, um, when when we got married, Kara and I both wrote our own vows. And in that, I, I think I might have scared her a little bit because, you know, I just told her, I said, you know, Kara, you are not the person I first fell in love with. And that, maybe she freaked out a little bit. I don't know. But I just said, you know, you've, even from the first time we we first met and fell in love till the day we stood there to get married, she had grown and I had seen that and been part of that. I said, you know, you're not the person I first fell in love with. You have, you've been sanctified. You've progressed in your sanctification. I used those, that verbiage, you know, in, in the wedding ceremony, but that's what I meant. Um, and she, she's grown in her faith. And I've got to see how God has grown her. And he's, he had grown me as well. And I said, that's what excites me the most because who you were when I first met you is not who you are today. You're, you're closer to Jesus, and who you're, who you are today, isn't who you're going to be, 10, 15, 20 years from now. And I'm really going to get to be a part of that and see that firsthand in her life. And I said that's what excites me the most about getting to marry her is that I'm going to be a part of her life in that way. So, um, but this idea of sanctification and and what Paul kind of talks about here, um, going into the, on to the. He's going to, sorry, I'm losing my spot here. He's going to perfect us until the day of Christ. So he begins this work in us, and he's going to continue that work until the day of Christ. Continue perfecting us until the day of Christ. Um, that all falls into, um, here's the fancy term for it, is ordo salutis, but it basically means order of salvation. That's the Latin phrase that people use when they want to sound fancy, I guess. But it means order of salvation. And so whether we think about it or not, there is an order to our salvation. So um, from like election, predestination, the gospel call, the inward call, regeneration, conversion, which is like repentance and faith, justification, then, and that a lot of that all kind of is like really quick, bam, 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 these, these things all happen really quick together, kind of in the middle of all that. But then we get to sanctification. After we are, after there is the conversion, then we get into sanctification first, uh, positionally before Jesus we we're sanctified and then the progression of sanctification which is really our life when we talk about the Christian walk that's what we're talking about is the process of sanctification the walk the journey that we are on as Christians as believers and then it eventually all culminates here when it says in the until the day of Christ that is the the final step of our sanctification or of our order of salvation which is glorification right 
And so in Scripture where it says, like, you know, be holy as I'm holy or be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect, that is all talking about our process of sanctification, being made more like Christ, uh, being made more holy. Until finally, when we are fully perfected through glorification, when we go to heaven, we experience glorification and we are you know, given the new body and everything else. And so um, that is sort of the, the order of salvation, if you will. Now, um, you can go and look at this scripture later if you would like, but basically basically Hebrews chapter 5 and 6, um, specifically 5 verse 11 through 6 verse 20. If you just read through that, it's, it's kind of this long, well, there's a lot of scripture there, but you can look through that and see um, sort of different stages of our sanctification. I think just for the purposes of of this this morning, we're gonna we're just gonna talk about like those stages. If you want to go read that scripture later, I would I would encourage it for sure. But basically, the first stage of our of our lives is that we are uh, living a converted life, and so we're living a converted life. That somebody that's a babe in Christ. Um, we are receiving life. Um, we're experience a faith that finds maturity. Or so our faith is finding maturity. So babe in Christ, we're receiving life. Faith that finds, sorry, a faith that finds mercy, and we are getting the ear of God. So we're babes in Christ. They're getting the ear of God. Um, the next step is that we move on to a committed life. So as we progress in our sanctification, we're going to move on to a committed life. That is an infant on milk, like kind of on through adolescence. Um, we are deepening our life, so we're we're growing deeper in our, in our faith. Um, it's a faith that finds maturity. And then uh, we're not just getting the ear of God, but we're hearing the voice of God. So it's not just about us getting the ear of God. We're, we're actually hearing the voice of God and hearing, you know, understanding His plan for our lives and the direction He wants us to, to move in our lives. And then the next stage is a compassionate life. This is an adult in Christ, um, somebody that's not just receiving life or deepening life, but they're sharing life. So we're sharing life, and it's a faith that is in ministry. So uh, raise your hand if you're a minister. Aaron, you should raise your hand. All right, keep raising your hand if you're a minister. All right, keep raising your hand if you're... Okay, let me give you a hint. If you're a saved person, you are a minister. God has called you into ministry. That was a little trick question. I kind of like button hooked you on that. I'm sorry, but yes, if if we are if we are saved people, God, we are partners with God in the gospel, like verse five said, and we are we are in ministry. We are people that are doing ministry, um, whether it's you know something simple like Glenn came up and, and we did it out here um, yesterday, or if we're preaching even if we're going out and sharing the gospel, whatever it might be in whatever stage we might be in, we are all partners in the gospel and we're we're of the fellowship, literally, not just the name of our church, but we're in the fellowship. We're participating in the gospel. So we're ministers. We're in ministry. So we're it's a, a compassionate life is an adult in Christ, a sharing life, a faith that is in ministry, and we're knowing the will of God. Um we might think, man, that is the that, that is the ultimate place, right? That is the goal of what we're looking for. We want I want to be an adult in Christ. I don't want to be a babe on milk. I want to get into the meatier things, those kinds of things. 
But that's not where that's not where it ends. Our our progression of our sanctification. There's a there's a final step to there. There's another step to that before glorification, and that's not just a converted life or a committed life or a compassionate life. It's a crucified life. Um, it's somebody that's a servant in Christ. Somebody that's not just sharing life but losing their life. It's a faith that's not just in ministry but on mission, and they're relying on the grace of God. So they're not just getting the ear of God or hearing the voice of God or knowing the will of God, is somebody that is truly relying on the grace of God, somebody that is uh, laying their life down for Christ, um, a, a crucified life. And so that is, the, that is the process of sanctification, the working out of your salvation. And this is, a, you know, to me, because sanctification is so much of the Christian life, um, it's something we should talk about a lot. It's something that we should, you know, teach on and, pre- and think about. And it should be something that is forever, you know, we're always cogniz- cognitively aware. Cognitively? We should be aware of it. I should just say that. It's something we should always be aware of. And uh, sanctification is, uh, you know, you might be a little bit further along than someone else, and that doesn't mean that you should think of yourself better as the, that person you know it's, it's a timeline type of situation and you know you could be you know I'm 43 you'd be 43 years old and be up here um, and somebody that's you know 80 could be you know for, a little further back than you and and that's the beauty of church that's the beauty of being called into fellowship with one another as believers you know um, I, I like to think about like the the slave girl back in Philippi after she got saved and the impact that she started having. And we see it in churches today. You know, somebody that's, um, you know, a maid at a hotel might might have been a Christian for several years and has really deepened their faith. And she might be leading a study at a church with uh, a lady who's a CEO of some company or something, you know. And that's the beauty of the Christian walk. You know, it doesn't matter... Where society says we are, it's it's where we actually are according to our faith, according to this. And so um, you shouldn't look down on people because they're not maybe progressed as far along as you are in, in sanctification. But if you're not as progressed as someone else, you shouldn't be intimidated by that person. You should strive to be more like them. You know, ask, hey, what, what are the things that you're doing to, to get where you are, you know, to, to progress how you are in your sanctification. Um, and so sometimes that growing, that being made like Christ is, um, you know, it's a, it's a comfortable process, you know. Uh, I don't know if y'all have ever heard of uh, the big, the famous Max Lucado book, On the Anvil, but it's this picture of, you know, the Christian life is like we're in the workshop and sometimes we're a rusty old tool in the corner not being used for anything, just getting rustier and rustier but where we need to be is on the anvil because that's where sanctification happens that's where God is is hammering on us and forming us into something and that's not always a very comfortable place to be um, and so like I remember uh, well I don't remember but I was told when I was a baby my dad uh, had a car wreck and my brother and sister were in the car and this was Maybe, maybe still the 70s. I was born in 79. Maybe it was the 80s, early 80s. But I, I remember hearing about my brother went through the, the windshield of the car. And so, and maybe that's why he's 
is the way he is. I don't know, but um, he he's he played football and stuff too, so he's had some head injuries and some concussions. Who knows? But my brother, um, you know, all growing up, we'd be playing and stuff, and he'd get like a little itch on his head, and little pieces of glass will come out, and they he had glass in his head for years, and they never bothered him until they started working themselves out of the surface, right? And then it would get itchy, and he'd like just pull this little piece of glass out of his head. And uh, it really was kind of a concern. I remember, I do remember this, when my brother was going into seventh grade, starting football, it was a concern for my parents. Like, should he be doing this? And like, they took him to a doctor, and the doctor's like, yeah, he should be fine, you know, whatever. It was the 90s, but um, that, that was a serious concern back then. So, um, you know, but that's that's a picture of, you know, us. If we're, if God's not working on us, um, we're, we're not going to notice. It's not going to be, we're like the rusty tool in the corner, right? But if God is working on us, just like that glass working its way out of his skull, it started getting a little uncomfortable and stuff. And sometimes the Christian life can be a little uncomfortable. Um, but that's that's when God's really working on us and using us and, and forming us into who he wants us to be. And then um, this day of Christ, you know, we don't need to get that confused with like the day of the Lord. Um, where there's the final judgment and all that kind of stuff that we, we re, that we read about, like in Joel and other places. Um, but the day of Christ is is that glorification, the day of glorification that we talked about, that final step in the order of salvation when we get to heaven, um, and we get the the final salvation reward, um, the glorification of believers. So, um, verse. All right, we're going to push on. Verse 7, it says, uh, For it is right for me to think about the about this, for it is right for me to think this about all of you, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in, and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, all of you became partners in God's grace together with me. So um, this is not necessarily a compliment sandwich, but um, it's a it's a technique that, writers would use the Greek language lends itself to this te- this literary technique where he kind of sandwiches this idea of participation in verse 4 with partners, sorry, participation in verse 5 with partners in verse 7. He kind of sandwiches that together. And so the point of it is verse 6, that he's, he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Um, and it's surrounded by, you know, him thanking God for our participation in the gospel. And then also he says, it's right for me to think this about you because I have you all in my heart. Since both in, in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, all of you became partners in God's grace together with me. So this Paul's defense and confirmation of the gospel, this is like a, a legal term like used in like the court systems and everything for them where he is giving this defense and also giving a confirmation of the gospel. Um, he's literally referring to his like trial in Rome where he's defending his gospel ministry or just a, a general defense of his continued um, his continued defense of the faith. So, um, so he's saying, you know, it's right for me to think this about you because I have you in my heart. Um, and this, this word heart is... Uh, you know, it's this idea of 
it's the biblical word used to describe um, the center for for like our heart and feeling for our. Um, it's like the the seat of emotion, if you will. So this word heart here is I have you in my heart. It's it's where my not just my my emotion is, but also my thinking as well. He holds them dearly and beloved. I mean, same as we would use it today. Um, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, all of you became partners in God's grace together with me. And then I like verse 8 because this seems like uh, somebody today could be saying this. You know, he says, For God is my witness that I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Um, and he's saying that as a, uh, you know, as a, basically, uh, you know, God, let God be witness to the amount of affection I have for you. God, God is my witness how much I long for you. And you really see the, the emotion that he's, how much he really loves this church, the emotion he has for them. But, you know, God is my witness that I long for you, um, long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. I think if uh, if Paul would have been from the South, this would have been much easier to read because he says for all of you instead of for y'all. You know, that would have been much easier for, for us at least to read. But he, he's saying he has this great affection for them. Um, and this affection is literally like internal organs. It's where they where you experience intense emotion. It's the strongest Greek word used to express this compassionate love. And so when he's saying that, you know, he has this great affection for him, it's I mean it's like he uses the strongest word he can use for it, but he combines it with let God be my witness to this, that I really love you. I have this great affection for you. Um and so it's this very um you know, you can see the amount of love that it's it's in his his entire being, and so um, so he's he's writing this to them. And then the final three verses here, um, there th- this is some of my favorite scripture right here. Um, but the the term we want to like set in your mind for this, right? I want you to think about this term, this phrase, these two words. Um, and then we're going to read these last three verses and, and talk about them. But um, informed affections, okay? Informed affections. So um, know that, and then we'll get through. It says, and this is kind of Paul's continued prayer here. He's just kind of wrapping up his prayer. He says, and this I pray that your love may abound even more and more in knowledge and every kind of insight so that you can decide what is best and thus be sincere and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So this is informed. This is all about informed affections. He, he's praying for them. And what it's just, you can see it in Scripture if you follow through. He's praying for them. What he's praying for them is for their love. He wants, he was, he's praying specifically for their love. What about their love? Well, he wants their love to abound. He wants it to grow. How is it to grow? He wants it to grow in a few different ways. One, in knowledge. So it's not just about their love, but he wants their love to grow in knowledge. Um, this biblical love, it's not empty sentimentalism. It's not just the empty sentimentalism, um, but it's a, it's a, you know, we as saints, we know um, that this is a, a deeper love. And so it's a, 
it's a love that's anchored deeply in the truth of Scripture. And it's not just anchored deeply in Scripture, but their love is regulated by it. So the way, the way they love is regulated by their knowledge. And so he prays for their love, their love to grow. How is it to grow? More and more in knowledge and every kind of insight. Other versions say knowledge and all discernment. So insight or discernment. He wants them to be able to um, you know, discern things and be able to understand what is the better of the two things, right? In their knowledge and discernment. And what is the purpose of them growing in their knowledge and discernment? It's so that they can approve, so that you can decide what is best. So that, in other versions, say approve what is excellent. So you can decide what is best or approve what is excellent. And it's literally, um, you know, you're, you're making judgments here. You're, you're approving what is excellent. You're understanding, you know, between these two things or between these myriad of things, you have to approve what is the best thing, what is the thing that's excellent in this situation. So their love is going to grow in knowledge and insight, and it's for the purpose that they can, you know, approve what is excellent or know what is best, and the outcome of that, and you can kind of see this process of sanctification just through these verses. So the outcome of that is that, so that ultimately they can be sincere and blameless, or sincere and without offense, or another term we, we often use is above reproach. So they're going to be sincere and above reproach. Um, that means... Above reproach is like um, you're living a life that um, is a holy life to the point where people aren't even going to be able to come up and suspect you of, of wrongdoing or anything like that. And so um, I know, like especially like in my youth ministry days, this is very important to me because most of the years I was doing any kind of youth work, I was a single man. And so I was always very careful in that to... You know, never be one on one with a, a, a female, a young, you know, female teenager for sure. But uh, most of the time, I always try to have a couple um, teens with me. If I was just running to the store or something, I always have a couple teens with me, um, just so there was no, uh, you know, there was no thought of wrongdoing in, in what was going on. There's no suspicion of, of wrongdoing or malice or anything else. And so that's what it means to be blameless or without offense or above reproach. Now, this word sincere here, it's actually a, a pottery term. It comes from pottery. And back in their day, if you were going to, if you were in the pottery business, you know, it takes, it takes a while to, to make a good product. So you have to fire it for a long time. You have to allow it to cool properly and everything else to make a really good quality product. But if you're just pumping out product, and, and doing it quickly and not following all the steps you should, if, if it got to that point, then you're going to get cracks in your work. And it's not going to be the best work. It's not going to be the purest of work. And so what some people would do is they would melt like paraffin wax into those cracks and then kind of paint over it or something to make it seem like, oh, this is a, this is a good pot. This pot has no impurities or imperfections or cracks or anything in it. This is a, this is a good pot. And so this word sincere literally means sun-tested. So if you're a consumer and you go to the pottery barn, oh, it's a pottery barn, pottery store, then you would take that pot and you would hold it up in the sun and let the sun beat down on it. And if it was a pure pot, great, nothing would happen. But if it had wax melted, and of course you hold it up to the sun, that, that sun's going to melt the wax out and it's going to reveal those impurities. 
and imperfections in that pot. So what Paul is saying is, for us, we need to be to that point where we can be sun-tested. We need to have no impurities about us. We need to, we need to be these types of people. And, um, and that's, that's who we should be. And he, he says we'll be sincere and blameless, so sun-tested and above reproach for the day of Christ. It says, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So we're filled with that fruit of righteousness, and um, and that's that's sort of the the overflow or the I guess it, I mean it's the fruit. There's no better way to put it. It's the the fruit that comes from living a life that where we are sun tested and above reproach. We get the fruit of righteousness, and it the way we get that is is through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And this is what Paul is praying for them. His desire for them is that their love will grow and in all these steps. It's going to grow in knowledge and discernment so we can approve what is best or excellent so that we can be sun-tested and above reproach to the glory and praise of God. And so that's it's all for the glory and praise of God. Um, all of our sanctification, all of our that whole process of being made more and more like Christ is all goes back. It's all for to bring glory to God. Um, and so he starts out with this. He thanks God every time and he ends with it's all for the praise of God. And so this morning we're going to take communion. We're going to have a, a time around the table to, to do communion. We'll talk about that in a second. But um, let me close this out in some prayer here first. Lord, I thank you for your word here. I thank you for this time we had together to come and uh, and worship you and praise you and, and hear from your word. Lord, I pray that this, is, this has been an encouragement uh, to me, I know. I pray that you will help me grow more and more in my faith. And uh, as I walk through this Christian life, Lord, I pray that you will uh, encourage me and continue to build me up and, and conform me more into the image of your Son. But I pray you, you help us all do that. I pray that this will be something that we all do together as we uh, participate in the gospel together, as we're sharing in this gospel together. Lord, I pray that you will help us to um, all be people that are that are growing together. Though we may be different stages, Lord, I pray that you will uh, build us up as a, as a unified group of believers here. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.